Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. the Day of Atonement. Hopefully by now, after I've been rattling on, you've got uh, chapter 16, verse 1 in front of you there. Um, I'm going to start reading the first two verses. And one of the things that I love about the Day of Atonement, it is so full of pictures of Jesus in there. And we'll be, hopefully I'll be pointing out as many as, as, uh, as I can possibly, but we'll be looking at that. So verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And if you recall, if you have been here before, if you've read Leviticus before, back in chapter 10, two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they went before the Lord in the, in the scriptures that doesn't really tell us what happened, but they offered profane fire. Uh, common fire, not fire from the altar, but they offered their own fire in some way, shape, or form before the Lord, and the Lord struck them dead uh, because of his holiness. And, uh, and so we get a couple clues about maybe what was going on, because after that here, as we see in, in, as the Lord's instructing Aaron, he says, tell him not to just to come at any time. You can't just walk in any time into the holy place, because God's holy. And you combine that with Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read this to you. But right after that incident where Nadab and Abihu were struck by the Lord, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, says, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So that combined with just going in at any time, kind of like, you know, casually or whatever, kind of gives us maybe a clue possibly what happened. Maybe they were, you know, a little tipsy or whatever. They had some drinks and they went in and just, you know, and they just treated the Lord God as, as common. And, and they went in there and, and God's a holy God and he's communicating that clearly to the children of Israel, to the nation of Israel. So it could be, we don't really know, but so the Lord is telling Aaron, you can't just come in any time. And the Day of Atonement actually would only occur one time, uh, one day each year. Uh, anyways, so they weren't able to come in any time, but you know, you and I are under the new covenant, right? We've been blessed to be under the new covenant. In the word of Hebrews, the, the uh Chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 tells us this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the flesh, that is his, or through the veil, that is his flesh. You and I don't have to fear about being struck down by the Lord if, you know, one moment we just cry out to the Lord or, you know, we're, we're, we're in a situation and we just go to the Lord and call out to him. We're not going to get struck down by the Lord. We have that opportunity. We can boldly come into his presence at any time. That's not the case under the old covenant. But for you and I, I mean, what a blessing that is for us. We're able to do that. And so um, the Lord tells Aaron there at the end of verse 2, I, for I will appear above the mercy seat. 
And we've talked about the mercy seat earlier and was our study through the book of Exodus. Um, the mercy seat, it literally means kaporeth or it means a covering. And it was basically, it was literally a gold lid that covered the Ark of the Covenant that was placed inside the holy place. There were two cherubim, one on each side, two angels, basically one on each side of this gold cover. And uh, above that was where God would meet, above the mercy seat was where God would meet in a cloud to the, with the children of Israel after the atonement had been made. And what's very fascinating to me is if you look at John's gospel, John chapter 20, verse 11, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white uh, sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. <coughs> What an interesting picture. Because of the empty tomb, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, atonement had been made by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the mercy seat that's being pictured, that's being described that we're looking at this morning, I think it literally was just a picture of the, of the empty tomb with the two angels sitting there. I think that's fascinating. Well, continuing on here, verse 3, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place, with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Now you'll recall in, in past studies, we, we looked at the, 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 the blue ephod that uh, uh, Aaron would wear, the high priest would wear with the, with the breastplate with all the beautiful stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the onyx shoulder pads you know, set in gold settings with the names of the children of Israel and all the multicolored sash and all those things. It was just, it was just it was for glory and beauty the Bible describes. But here, Aaron's required to take those clothes off and to put on plain white linen garments. Why was Aaron required to change out of his high priest clothes into plain white linen clothes? Well, the reason why is because he had to do the work of sacrificing. He had to do that, that work of preparing the sacrifice. Again, we see a picture of Jesus here. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. It's a picture of what Jesus did. Jesus took off his, 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 his glory and his beauty as, as the Son of God, and he went to do the work of sacrificing and he looked like just any other man. In fact, we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, when Jesus went back to Nazareth, and he's, and he's speaking in the synagogue there. There's people that are like, who is this guy? What's the deal? In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, they said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him because he looked like any other person. He had taken off that, that the, 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 he didn't look like a Messiah, so to speak. He didn't have that Messiah quality, whatever that would have been. And so we see this beautiful picture where Aaron has taken off that, the high priestly robes and he's put on these plain white linen garments to do the work of sacrifice. And yet it was white linen, white linen. 
Hebrews 7.26 tells us, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Jesus, the, the perfect Lamb of God without sin, is represented with this white linen. So moving on here in verse 5, And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And right away the question is, why would Aaron need to first offer a sin offering for himself and his household? Well, the reason why is because although he is designated the high priest, he has a sin nature. He's got flaws and he's, and he's got failings. And what I really appreciate about the Bible is the Bible doesn't hide Aaron's failings. Here he is, the high priest, and yet we've seen how he failed. We've seen that in the incident with the golden calf. We've seen that in the incident where he and Miriam, who's Moses, they're both the brother and sister of, of, of Moses, that they, they rebel against the authority of Moses. So the Bible doesn't shy away in showing us his failings. In fact, in Hebrews 5.2, speaking about Aaron, it says he can have compassion on those who are ignorant going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. See, there was, a, uh, there was an imperfection. There was a, there, there was a uh, the old covenant had its limitations. And one of the limitations was the high priest was a sinner just like you and I. Just a guy who the Lord chose to do this ministry. But our high, great high priest, and again, I'm going to read the same verse, Hebrews 7, 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. You might be thinking, well, that's great. So Jesus is this perfect person that never sinned. How can, how can he identify with me or how can I identify with him? And yet Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I don't know what temptations tempt you, but you might say, you know what, I don't think anyone's ever been tempted the way I've been tempted. Well, listen, the Bible here says Jesus has been tempted in all points. That means in every aspect of, of human experience, he's been tempted just like you and I. The only difference is he didn't, he didn't fail for, he didn't fall, he didn't sin. Verse 7, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. There an Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat uh, on which the Lord's lot fell and offered as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. So we have these two goats, and both of the goats are necessary for the atonement of sin. The Lord's goat, which is the one chosen by, by Lot, would bear the punishment for sin. The scapegoat, which is also known as the Azazel, it's the Hebrew word, would be left alive, and that would provide the forgiveness for sin. One was bearing the punishment, the other was providing the forgiveness for sin. Verse 11 and Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. 
and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Uh, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So the goat here for the sin offering, it's a picture of our Savior. The goat had to be spotless, had to be without blemish. And of course, Jesus Christ was without sin. The goat was to be from the congregation of Israel. They, they actually, somebody had, somebody owned that goat and they, it was to be uh, given. And Jesus came from the Jewish people. He came from the congregation of Israel. This goat was chosen by God. You go, yeah, but they cast lots. Yeah, but God chose which goat would be chosen by Lot. Just as Jesus Christ was chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be our savior. And just as the blood of the goat was brought into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for sin, Jesus Christ's blood was brought into the holy place to make atonement for your and my sin. What's interesting, too, according to the Talmud, the two goats had to be as much alike as possible. And, I, you know, I was looking for graphics, and I saw, that, you know, a lot of pictures they have of the, the two goats. One's black and one's white. You know, of course, the, the dark goat's the bad goat, and the white goat's the good goat, just like the cowboys and Indians when we used to watch those cowboy shows, those westerns in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but according to the Talmud, they were supposed to look almost identical. Uh, size, color, value, everything. Again, you think about our Savior, he looked just like any other man. There was no Messiahship look to him. He didn't have a glowing halo, even though some people put that in pictures. On the outside, he looked far from being a Messiah. In fact, Isaiah 53, 2 prophesies about him. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a dry root, excuse me, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So like, you know, Jesus didn't look like a, a movie star. He didn't have like the perfect cut jaw, you know, and real tall and piercing eyes. Well, he probably had piercing eyes, but, you know, as far as, you know, what we look at as for beauty and handsomeness or whatever, if you read the scriptures, he probably was kind of ugly, maybe. Maybe nothing that would be like, well, he's, you know, he's attractive. Probably not. Gives me comfort. <laughs> So this is very interesting here in verse 17. It says, There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 
So this work of sacrifice, all these things that are taking place, Aaron alone would do the work of atonement. There's a picture in that as well, because Jesus alone would provide our atonement. Think back to the night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus agonized and prayed alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was by himself. I mean, they, there was three of the disciples there, but they were asleep. He, he was bearing that agony by himself. At the Last Supper, before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had spoken to his disciples in Matthew 26, 38. He said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And of course, we know when Jesus was arrested, they all fled. And Jesus alone stood before the high priest to be tried. Later on on the cross, Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So not only was he forsaken by his disciples, forsaken by mankind, he's even forsaken by God. That moment when the weight of that sin, the you're in my sin, was placed upon him. And a holy God had to turn away from him. He bore the atonement alone. We see that beautiful picture here with Aaron going in there to do the work by himself. So as Aaron goes into the holy place, he's by himself, right? They didn't have cell phones. They didn't know, you know, they didn't have, uh, we've got security cameras up now, but they didn't have security cameras or anything. How would the children of Israel know that atonement had been made? It was really simple. If Aaron came back out alive, <laughs> basically, if he came out back alive, man, God accepted Aaron because he was a sinner. He had to make sure his, you know, his sins were atoned for and his sacrifice the blood had been accepted. So if he came out alive, we're good. If he didn't come out alive, then that's a different story. You know, if Jesus had just been a good man, and there's people that say that, you know, Jesus was just a good man, he was a, he was a prophet. They'll acknowledge, yeah, Jesus was a prophet, or he was a, just a good teacher. But had he died, well, if that was the case, when he died, he would have remained in the tomb. The fact that Jesus arose victorious from the dead proved that the sacrifice of himself had been accepted and it proved that atonement for sin, for my sin, for your sin, had been made. That's what the resurrection proves for us. Verse 20, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting in the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So this is the other goat. Uh, the goat the Lord had chosen by lot for the sin offering had been killed. Its blood had been brought into the most holy place to make atonement. And now for the Azazel, or the scapegoat, Aaron is to lay his hands on the live goat. And notice he confesses all their iniquities, all their transgressions, all their sins. In other words, everything. There's nothing held back. An interesting word, that Hebrew word yada for confess, it has the sense of revealing. And the opposite of this word is concealing. 
Sometimes we conceal our sins, but we're to reveal them, we're to, we're to confess them, we're to bring them out into the open. And, and so the children of Israel, Aaron is here to, to name their sins. You know, sometimes when we've done something, we, we might say, you know, uh, uh, get into an argument with someone, I'm sorry I offended you, or I'm sorry that you took it the wrong way, or so, you know, and we never, we never say, I'm sorry that I said this, and this hurt your feelings. Or, you know, when we're confessing to the Lord, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. And, and he wants us to name them specifically. What sin are you talking about? He wants to forgive each one specifically. And so here's a, here they were to name their sins, every sin, leave nothing concealed, but everything revealed. That's kind of a humbling thing. It's hard to do sometimes when we're confessing. It's hard to actually name the sin that we're asking for forgiveness for, but it's necessary. It's necessary to do. So once the sins are confessed over the scapegoat, and what's happening is, the scapegoat, he's confessing the sins, both hands on the goat. Symbolically, the sins are being transferred onto this live goat, the scapegoat. It's led out into the wilderness, symbolically carrying their sins and taking them away. Again, Jesus is pictured in the scapegoat as well as the other goat uh, for the sin offering. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just like the scapegoat, all the sins are being placed on the head, and the scapegoat is carrying away the sins. All our sins were placed on Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture of what takes place in atonement under the Old Covenant. See, the scapegoat goes off into the, into the wilderness, symbolically representing the fact that their sins were removed. They were put away, but they weren't entirely eliminated because, hey, the goat's alive somewhere out there. It's, it's not completely gone. It's, it's gone. Hopefully it doesn't come back. And, the, and later on, in, in later years, the, the Jewish people had different things. One of, the, one of the traditions they said was that the person leading the goat out would bring it over a cliff and it would die out there. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case. We don't read that in scripture. The goat just goes to an uninhabited land. A picture under the old covenant. But for you and I, again, we have such a much better covenant with the blood of Jesus Christ. Psalm 103, verse 12. I love this verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You, I've heard, you've heard me say this many times. You can go north. Eventually, you're going to go south. But if you go east... You're always going east. You're never going to go west. If you go west, you're always going west. You're never going to go east. East and west never meet except maybe at a college football game. That's about it. Our sins will never return. They are put away forever. I don't know how you feel about that, but that, what a blessing. All the sin, all the guilt, all the shame, it's gone because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's an interesting observation here, too. Back in verse 21... The, the scapegoat, the, the Aaron's confessed his sins on the scape, or the sins of the people, including himself, on the scapegoat, and then they're to send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Well, who is that suitable man? Well, the word suitable means fit, ready to stand. It refers to someone prepared and waiting to perform the task. There's like there's a guy there who's like, okay, I'm the one that's going to bring the suit. No, I'm going to bring the scapegoat out into the wilderness. I'm there. I'm waiting. I'll wait till it's my, well, till they call me, and then I'll go do it. That's the picture that's painted here. 
Well, is there a picture in the New Testament of a man leading away the Lamb of God? I think there is. Luke 23, verse 26. As Jesus is being led all the way to Golgotha, and he stumbles with the cross because he's been beaten to the point of no, no human normally would survive what he had survived as far as his beating. And now he's carrying that cross and he's, and, he, and, and, he's, and he's so weak that at one point it says in verse 26 of Luke 23, now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. I think that's the picture of the suitable man. You might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't sound like Simon was prepared and waiting, you know, standing by the road to carry Christ's cross. Like, okay, like, because that's the picture in the Old Testament. Here's a guy standing there, okay, I'm, I'm, that's my job to do. Simon was just there in the crowd. He got singled out in the crowd. He was just randomly chosen, right? Random. That word is an interesting word. Coincidence is another one that sometimes we use. Oh, it's such a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in random events either. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. King Ahab, one of the, one of the most wicked kings of Israel, he's getting together with Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who's a good king, a godly king, and they're going to go to battle together. Ahab asked uh, Jehoshaphat to join him in battle. And Micah, the prophet, Micaiah, I don't know if it's Micah, but Micaiah, the prophet is called and comes before Ahab, and he prophesies that Ahab, king of Israel, will be struck down in battle. It's in 2 Chronicles 18, if you're taking notes. And Ahab, he's got a plan. He disguises himself as King Jehoshaphat, because Jehoshaphat was a loved king. He disguises himself in battle. But in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 33, here's a fascinating thing, speaking of coincidences. It says, Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Just a coincidental thing. There's this, there's this, this guy just happened to be shooting an arrow at the enemy, and it just happens to hit the king who's hiding in disguise right between his armor, and it ends up killing him. I don't think anything's by random coincidence. Proverbs 16.33, you know, we talk about this casting lots for the scapegoat. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's very, every decision is from the Lord. What's my point? Simon of Cyrene, I am sure he wasn't prepared and waiting to carry the cross of Christ. But God chose him. But, you know, who can argue with a Roman soldier anyways? You know, hey, they compel you to carry it. In fact, Jesus tells in the, in, uh, in the Beatitudes, of, I think it's in the Beatitudes, he, he says if someone compels you to go one mile, go with them two miles. He's referring to this same thing. If a, if a Roman soldier compelled you to go a mile, carry their baggage or whatever, you had to do it, and you had to go that mile. You had no choice. And so Jesus said, hey, if they tell you to do that, go the extra mile. Just go, go further. What a, what a lesson that is in, in and of itself. But I believe Simon of Cyrene was a suitable man in God's eyes. He was selected. He was appointed. God said, he's the man. I want him to do that. Why do I say that? In Mark's gospel, 
Mark tells us the same story that, we, that I just read you in Luke 23. But in Mark's gospel, he says, he speaks about Simon of Cyrene. He says he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why did Mark say that? Well, obviously the readers knew who Alexander and Rufus was. So they're like, oh, that's his dad. Oh, okay, yeah, I know. I think I know who you're talking about. Interesting. In Romans chapter 16, Paul's closing out his letter to the church in Rome. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Most scholars believe that this Rufus was the son of Simon the Cyrene. So what's my point in all of this? Why bring any of this up? Because we're starting 2020, a new decade, a new year, a new opportunity to live for the Lord, and there's going to be divine appointments that are going to come across our way. There's going to be opportunities to minister, opportunities to serve, opportunities to witness. There's going to be all kinds of opportunities, and, you know, they might be undesirable. Some of them might not be like, you know, I'm not ready for this, or I sure don't want to do that. I mean, who wanted to carry a cross a mile? <coughs> might even be inopportune. But don't pass those by because those random events, they're not random. The Lord maybe has said, you know what? You're the suitable person for that job. And you look at the blessings. Simon of Cyrene, and, and I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, you know, extrapolating, but I don't think I am too far. I have a feeling that that impacted him so much that his entire family got saved. Beautiful lesson. So don't pass up random events. Don't pass up opportunities to minister when they come your way. I encourage you with that. Verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. So now the work of sacrificing the animals is done. Aaron once more changes back into his high priest's garments, the ones for glory and beauty. What another picture of our great high priest. He laid aside his glory, taking on human flesh. He completed the work of redemption, and then he laid aside his human flesh, and now he has once more taken on the glorious robes of our great high priest in heaven. Beautiful picture. Verse 26. And he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering, the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn it in the fire with their skins, their flesh, and their offal. And he, then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his, water, his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. So these guys that did these tasks, uh, you know, they, they were unclean ceremonious, so they had to wash themselves, and now they could come back in. Verse 29, this shall be a statute for you, forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may clean, uh, be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. 
And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. How many times are we reading in here, this is a statute forever for the children of Israel? It's kind of interesting, some of the, and we're going to get into it as we go further into Leviticus, but some of the people that believe that homosexual marriage, for example, is, you know, it's like, yeah, the Old Testament, you know, said that it was forbidden, but that was the Old Testament. You know, things are new. Things are different now. Um, and when we get to that, I have a, a very good uh, argument against that thinking. But here's one of the things in the Old Testament that God says it's a perpetual statute forever. That doesn't mean till the new covenant comes. It's forever for the children of Israel. And the interesting thing is since 70 AD, there has been no blood atonement for a Jewish person. Now they take this passage because they don't have a temple. They, they can't sacrifice an animal on Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, basically. They still celebrate Yom Kippur. And what they do is they interpret what afflicting your soul means. And it might mean fasting. There's different things depending on, you know, different people. They, they interpret what afflicting your soul means. The word literally means to be humbled, to be brought low, even to be depressed. What it was, it was to bring home to the person the effects, the consequences of their sin. It was to remind them that you know, this isn't a, just a glib thing. It's like, oh, the goat's going to take my sin. No, they, they, they were to realize what was taking place, the, the solemnity of it. And God's purpose for the Day of Atonement, it wasn't to kill an animal. It wasn't to, it wasn't to you know, uh, uh, just pound people over the head. Look at that. It says to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The Lord God wants you and I to have a right relationship with him. He wants us, he doesn't want us to walk around in unconfessed sin. He doesn't want us, want us to walk around. He wants us to be clean before him. And he, op, he, he gives that opportunity to us as we confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9, as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. That's, that's God's desire, to cleanse us from our sins. You can only imagine what it will mean to the Jewish nation when sometime in the future, probably, I think, fairly soon, some guy comes on the scene, and he's a real statesman. He's a negotiator. He just has a way of getting two warring sides, two different factions, maybe five different factions. He's got a way of getting them all together in the room to sit down and talk. He's a man with a plan for Mideast peace. And he makes a way for the third temple to be rebuilt. Man, the, the Jewish people are just waiting. If you ever go, go in your, get on your computer, look at the uh, Temple Institute. These guys, there's a group of Jewish people that are just, they have got so much of the stuff ready to start doing sacrifices again. Because they know they need that blood atonement. And so once they get the green light, and some guy comes on the scene and, and, uh, and, and makes them, you know, gives them that opportunity. A lot of Jewish people actually believe that it's the Messiah who's going to allow them to rebuild their temple. So now you can imagine some guy comes on the scene and, and he enables it. They're going to go, hey, that's the Messiah. And they're going to worship him only to find out 
that he's a counterfeit. Verse 34. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So under the old covenant, Yom Kippur means to cover, but not to remove. It's just to cover over. Because year after year, this was a yearly thing they had to do. The day of atonement, Yom Kippur, was to be repeated. And the Bible tells us it was only a copy and a shadow of a better covenant initiated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to close with this passage of scripture here out of Hebrews. In fact, you know, uh, I'd encourage you, if you're ever doing a study, get Hebrews and Leviticus together side by side and, and just go through these passages. You'll, it's just amazing. But I want to close with this. And every high priest, excuse me, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, this man, we're speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's you and I this morning. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer.